You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Hello, Andre. I figure it's better we just start rolling tape uh, before we waste all the good stuff. Uh, I guess, full disclosure, you're a little tardy tonight. Hey, don't use that language. It's late. (laughs) It is. uh, With the new job means that this podcast is not going to have a regular recording schedule like we usually do. Uh, I'm pulling up. So I've created a spreadsheet to keep track of all of our swears. Um, and it looks like on the last swear chart, I said the C word, not that C word, but eight times in a row since you've last sworn. So good for you, Michael. Wow. Look at me. I am, uh, I am very proud of myself for keeping it clean. And, uh, I guess we were sort of chatting cause, um, it felt like we had a lot more work than ahead because we try to make sure that we've got a good pipeline going in case one of us gets busy, but, uh, all the good content's been getting out there we've done some really good podcasts lately i think so too uh we've really um we've really upped our game especially with cab franc and uh um well ever since we jettisoned the c word i think uh i think things are getting a lot better (laughs) Uh, i think we can tease the fact that uh next week's podcast is going to feature allison sloot um if you are not on instagram you should follow her she's at Cab Franc Chronicles, and we had a very interesting conversation with her that I think we're going to be having her back, although, man, I'm really sick of this COVID thing. Um, You know what? I, I really want to start getting together with some people and doing some tasting, and, and I know that, um, uh, I know if we're going to be teeing stuff up, uh, I understand we are getting to the point of having, I, I think, Ontario's King of Cab Franc on. Yep. Uh, and we're either going to do it in person or one of us will be in person and the other one will be remote or we'll just all be like at a triangular table at a corner. Well, it's, we're, so I guess before we get into the wine chat, like I'll just let let people know like what's going on. Uh, I've taken a new job with a marketing firm Reach Digital in Hamilton, uh, which means that I'm commuting to Hamilton um, three or four times a week. So last week I commuted four times a week and um i think throughout this like you know i am not a denier i'm not an anti anything i think we need to do what the health uh the health officials are telling us to do i think we need to take this seriously we need to wash our hands we need to wear masks but it's a bit of a trip when i get out of my car in downtown hamilton i walk into the office where i'm working by myself or just with the ceo where we wear masks and keep our distance and I walk past the stretch of pubs and people are outside on the patio having drinks where in Toronto, it just, it feels very different and things are locked down and I'm just really, I'm tired and a little burnt out by all this. Well, I, I don't think you're alone, Andre. I think we're, we're all a little bit tired, but you know, um, uh, it's, we can't, we can't take our foot off the gas. You know, it's no. the, uh, it's the marshmallow test. I heard that on the radio the other day oh, while okay, I was listening. Okay, okay, but you need you need to dumb you need to dumb this down. Then what is the marshmallow test? I really like that analogy, Michael. So the marshmallow test. I don't remember when it was when it was uh, created or or when this when this scientist did it, but I believe it was in the '60s or the '70s. And what he did was he basically sat down with uh, some young kids, and um, he said, 
I will give you a marshmallow now, or if you can wait 15 minutes, I will give you a second marshmallow. And it turns out that I think about 15% of the kids actually waited. The rest of them ate their marshmallow and didn't get the second. And uh, as it turned out, uh, then they followed these, these children through their life. And those who could delay gratification uh, actually uh, had, had, a, had a better outcome in life. And uh, that's where we're at right now. Uh, we are at the point where we're telling you that there's a marshmallow and we're going to shove it in your arm and everybody's going, okay, great. I can go back to normal. But we still have to, we still have a few months to wait uh, before we're all marshmallowed up. So it's our second marshmallow. You know, I think that's the most profound thing you've ever said on this podcast. I, I salute you for it. <laughs> and Which I'm not funny. even drunk. It's funny. When we say nice things to each other, I think the default reaction is either you or I think we're screwing with each other. And I assure you that's not the case. <laughs> I just, I, I just heard that. And I was like, that's, that's such a, you know, it's, it's, it's what they're saying about what's going on in the U S right now, especially like in Florida where they're all going for, for March break. And they're yeah. saying, you know, the, the, the U S uh, the, the, the young ones down there are just not, um, you know, they're not taking it seriously because they, they got the marshmallow. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you haven't figured it out by this point, we have no guest in this podcast. Um, I'm going to make my contribution to the swear jar. This one is because colloquially we refer to this as one of the uh, shooting the casts. I guess it is. Yes. We're just going to uh, chat away here uh, for a little bit. Andre, have you, you know what? I should ask. Uh, have you tasted anything of interest lately? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the way you said it it's like you've had sex with it too um you know you and i have talked a lot about um like price and value and spending a lot on wine and not spending a lot on wine um i think one of the places where dollar for dollar if you're looking for a really expensive bottle of wine that doesn't disappoint and i'm not going to make it a blanket statement but i think for the most part champagne is a good place to park your money I, I'm waiting for you to give me crap and, and wait to. Uh... Well, I, I, I want to some. Yeah, I can see it. Um, I don't think you have to park your money there. No, I'm not, saying, better, I'm not saying. I'm not value saying. Better value sparkling wine out there. Okay. I, I think you're. Um, I think you're wrong. But go ahead. Try and make your case. Uh, so to celebrate the change in career and the new job, I picked up. Um, it, it caught my eye, frankly, because of the packaging and. It turns out that even when you're spending a couple hundred dollars on a bottle of wine, I'm still a sucker for packaging. I bought a bottle of Champagne Henry Giraud, I Grand Cru de Chêne Brut. Um, yeah. And and look, um, it was great, and it was it was incredible. Um, my wife ended up drinking more than half the bottle and drank it like water. Uh, which is too bad because it was a very expensive bottle of wine, but and she told the neighbors to eat cake. <laughs> it was it was a very nice treat, and uh, should you have the means, I highly recommend it. I, okay, when I talk about the packaging, you can give me crap about how much I spent on it after, but the top of the bottle was sealed with a staple instead of with a normal like um, K 
cage. Yeah, one of those, one of those like a large industrial staple. I've seen those. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it comes in a wooden crate. It comes with a blue box that has a tool where you, it tells you how to remove the staple. You know, it gives you the whole romantic story with it. But I, I just, I thought the whole thing was kind of cool. And frankly, it, it felt expensive going through the whole process. Yeah, yeah, and the tool was you. Um, no, but look. I, I get it. You know, that bottle is going to taste great because you're celebrating something special. Totally. And totally. it's always going to taste. You could have you could have opened a $15 bottle of Connoisseur uh, Rosé Brut. And no, I bet you it would have tasted great because you were celebrating something special. Uh, I'm sure it would have tasted great, but it wouldn't have tasted this great. It, it was you just don't, like. You don't know because you didn't do it. I guess. Okay, so I guess my so my next milestone, my next major milestone, I commit to you to open a bottle of Connoisseur Sparkling Rosé, and and just make sure that it's a special occasion. It'll taste delicious, and that's you know, wine is still eighty percent of what's going on. I like as as Thomas Batchelder likes to say, you know, when la libération happens, you know, we'll all get together and have a party. And it doesn't matter if everybody ends up puking in the bushes. It's going to be a great party. <laughs> I agree with that. Okay, if I can go to the other side of the coin, I'm going to go through. I've tasted three wines recently. Like, that was definitely the the holy grail. But there's two other wines that I've I've um, picked up uh, for different reasons that were interesting. But the other two are under $20. Uh, there's one available in vintages right now. It's uh, Chateau La Grave d'Arzac. It's a grave. It's a white Bordeaux. Um, if, if I can just paint the picture for you, uh, the agent for the wine is signature wine and spirits, but I was just, I was looking for something different. I was at Summerhill. If you go into the, the back room at Summerhill on the right side of the wall, you have burgundy. Everything was too expensive. I was just like, you know what? Maybe I can get some decent entry level Bordeaux, like maybe a Bordeaux Superior or something. And I saw this and it was a white Bordeaux, it's, um, $16 a bottle. I picked up the bottle. I flipped over to the back because it's like, okay, what's the mix? What's the blend? Because often it'll tell you, you know, this is X percent Sauvignon Blanc, X percent Semillon. Uh, I'm going to do this uh, poorly. This is what the back label of that particular white wine says. This wine is produced on uh, gravelly silica soil where Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot give birth to this beautiful red wine. With a deep garnet red, the nose is dominated with ripe dark fruit. It is elegant and charming in the mouth, and the tannins are harmonious and soft. This wine pairs perfectly with red wine, uh, charcuterie, and cheese. Serve at 18 degrees. So I was just like, okay. Someone here definitely messed up. You put the red label on the back of the white. Let me take this home and try it. Uh, and you know what? But before you go on, yeah. I, I I would like to say, with how the LCBO acts with a front label, <laughs> they'll get angry or make people blot out, you know, motorcycles because you, it promotes drinking, drinking and, and riding a motorcycle. They will blot out. A, a pile, a cartoon pilot holding a glass of wine. Oh, oh Michael, Michael, okay. If it, it promotes drinking and flying, and yet nobody could go that the back label is completely wrong. Okay, okay. Now, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing is when I flip the bottle over because I knew it was a white, like it's the green glass. You can see right through it. After I read the back label, you can just picture this in your head. 
I took the bottle and I held it up to the light just to make sure that it was white. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I inventory wine cellars. There's times that I look at something and I'm like, I am positive that that's a red wine. 100%. Hold it up just to light just to make sure. And sometimes they're so old that you're <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's got a little bit of a hue of, of red. So it is still a red wine. The, but this wine is fantastic. It, it's fantastic. Um, I, I'm actually on my fourth bottle of it because it is so affordable. Um, honey, honeysuckle, uh, white flower, you know, bright tangerine, what you expect from Semillon, crisp acid, 12.5% alcohol. Um, I wish the back label told me a little bit more of the story about it, but, you know, I'll let that one go. And then the. There's, um, there's always the internet. Uh, which is, you know, thank God the LCBO website was up to date so I could see a little bit more what was in it. The last one is a Cote Giron Village. You and I have talked about it on this podcast before, not this specific wine, but just how Cote Giron can offer really great value. It's another bottle I picked up because of the label. Uh, it's Louis Bernard is the producer, uh, and the bottle is embossed with the um, the coat of arms on it. So, you know, it has that that southern Rhone really rich feel to it. It's a Grenache Syrah Mourvedre. It's a little warm, 15% alcohol, but uh, my wife, uh, Anya, has a bit of a, a spider sense. She can detect alcohol when it, it feels a little bit warm. Um, she guessed that this wine was a $30 bottle of Cote du Rhone, and I'm, uh, I, I've drank a couple bottles of this as well. Uh, definitely stuff worth seeking out. Uh, all of this from outside Ontario, so... Sorry, yes, I'm noticing that. And here's the funny thing. Uh, so I do, I'm just, I was just looking this up because uh, Louis Bernard does sound familiar. And uh, I happen to have two bottles of a Louis Bernard Cote de Rhone and a Louis Bernard Costier de Nîmes, uh, both from 2003. So wouldn't it be fun if you remind me of this going forward when we finally get together, we'll open those and see how those bottles age. Oh, well, I mean, you still have a bottle of Chateau Picard we have to open together. We do have a bottle of Chateau Picard, a 2003 that I that I picked up, and I'm figuring you were uh, um, such a Picard fan, and I asked if you'd ever had one, and you said no. I'm excited and... for it. Honest to God, it's one of the things I'm looking forward to. I, I mean, like, an, another nice thing about the pandemic, since so the other part about getting the new job is I now own a car, so I'm able to travel with my dog, which has always been... The challenge, because you can't bring a shedding dog in a rental car, they charge you a cleaning fee, but I was able to bring Henry down to meet your new dog, and we were able to chat and taste through a couple of things. Uh, that was definitely one of the highlights of the past uh, month or so. And speaking of tasting, I'm I'm uh, just starting out with the Rosé Report. So, um, uh, hopefully uh, we make the cut this year. It's Well, it's it's the wines are starting to trickle in. I'll tell you that I've done about eight to ten wines so far. Any standouts? Uh, the Shadow de Charme 2019 is 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 quite a winner. Uh, a, a little bit surprised that they're you know they're they're pushing the 19. Um, you know that's uh, something that that's and... something that Thomas told me that because Shadow de Charme they make their rosé with Pinot Noir if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's true. Uh, and I, okay, if if Amelie, if you're listening to this or uh, or or Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but. I know with the 2017 When Pigs Fly, which you and I, we both know that was definitely the better of the two vintages I've made of that wine so far. But Thomas is the one who told me to set some bottles aside to age them. And I still have a couple bottles of the 2017. Uh, Rosé does age interestingly in Ontario. 
I think I would say interestingly is a, is a good word for it. Uh, but I think with Pinot Noir, it has a little bit it has a little bit more longevity because you end up with some more floral notes. It it just adds a nice complexity to it. I still like them fresh. I still, I you know, I love. Yeah, me too. I love the what what I have noticed though, and I think we've talked about it uh, very briefly was I don't think, and so far it is it has played out this way. I have, I have tasted a few uh, 2020s from Ontario. The acidity is not what it was in 19. Obviously, it's it's vintage uh, dependent, and and that's the reason. Nineteen is a very acid driven year. Twenty, a very ripe year, very good year. But those those acidity, uh, that acid balance is a little little more fruit forward than uh, in 19, where they were uh, a little more with the the lemony pucker. This year seems to be a little more red fruit forward on those on those rosés. Yep, I I'm dealing with that myself. Like I'll uh, I, I'm really excited for we're we're doing the final tastings before 2020 when Pigs Fly goes into bottles. I mean, it's the fun part about this experiment of getting involved as a producer is you know you have to deal with what the vintage gets you, what the vintage gives you. But I mean, if there's anything else that will teach me, like. Frankly, we need to erase the term good vintage from our vocabulary and from the consumer vocabulary having to do with um, with hot summers. Uh, because when a summer is as hot as it was in 2020, you know, the, the wines across the board are going to be good. We're going to end up with delicious wines, whether it's rosé or sparkling or Pinot Noir or, oh man, I almost said it, uh, <laughs> or Cabernet Franc. But I mean... When you're dealing with those cool climate varieties, when you're dealing with your Rieslings, your and your Pinot Noir, it's a challenge to hold on to your acid to make sure that things ripen while you still have acid on your in your fruit. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be uh, interesting to taste uh, uh, what those what those cooler climate varietals are are like. Uh, and and yes, will will Riesling be good out of the gate? Yes. But do I see it, say, by 2023, starting to develop those those uh, harsh petrol notes? I think so, uh, and that's that's just the nature of a of a hot vintage. We uh, we end up with a little bit of overripe uh, riesling, and we get what I call premature petrol. Um, you know, it's it's not a, a fault, but it's you know drink those rieslings earlier than. Uh, than than lying them down because you know two years from now three years from now you'll get those petrol notes that you would get in a say a ten year or a fifteen year wine. But it's also the fun thing about Niagara and about Ontario wine in in general is um, you know I I think I I think not all wines need to spend uh, you know a crap ton of time in a cellar to be good. And, you know, I think for 2020, we're going to end up with some really fresh and fruity Rieslings that you don't want to hold on to. And they're well, going to be good. Dr drink them up. Drink up. Just telling you, if you're, a, if you're a Riesling holder, I don't think 2020 is your Riesling year. 19, I would bet you, yeah, that's going to be the Riesling year to hold on to. Yeah, there's no Riesling you should be holding on to your 2020s. No, not your Riesling anyway. Yeah, yeah, so. What have you, you know tasted? What, Andre, you I also tasted, uh, and I want to give it a shout out, I thought uh, the 2019... Uh, Henry of Pelham Estate Gamay was absolutely a uh, delightful wine uh, that I thought, um, you know, is is probably going to be my patio wine uh, this summer. Uh, Chillet 
and just drink the hell out of it. It's, I think the word you usually call it is sessionable. <laughs> it is, it is such a, a, a lovely quaffing wine. I can't wait for the hot weather, the barbecues, the, the sitting outside and just to, you know, have that in the fridge for, you know, 30, 45 minutes and then pull it out, maybe throw a sleeve on it just to keep it cool and just, just crushing uh, bottle after bottle of that. I don't know. Uh, I, I think you and I talked about this. I just wasn't the biggest fan of it. Um, I, I, I think it was. I think it was okay. But oh god, why? Why? Why did we have to make it that word? Uh, so I recently tasted the 2019 um, Estate Chardonnay from Henry Pelham. Hang on. My God. Yeah, I got to take the spreadsheet. in the job. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's okay for working on it. Um, I I think since Lawrence has taken over the winemaking from Henry Pelham, something interesting has happened because I know that with the um, uh, with the Chardonnay from Henry Pelham, don't worry, I'm keeping track of all these. Uh, before Lawrence took over, you ended up with wines that needed a bit of time in a cellar to come together. And frankly, I think the average consumer, when you're spending twenty twenty five dollars on a bottle of the, you know that delicious white wine that I love. Um, you know, you don't have the patience to put it aside for six months or 12 months. You just want to take it home and, and enjoy it. Uh, the last couple of vintages of said delicious white wine from Henry Pelham have just been head and shoulders above previous incarnations. And I hope it's a trend to continue it. You know, it has, I think while a lot of people in Niagara are looking more towards a burg- Gundian or, or French influence for their style of said delicious white wine. Um, Henry Pelham is looking a little bit more new world. Um, if you take a look at one of my last Instagram posts, I did a side by side of a Macon, a New Zealand, and a Flat Rock Chardonnay. Oh, this is going to be an expensive year, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it was just, it was just, and I'm not even goading you into this. You're just going down. Well, this I mean, how can I talk about the, how can I talk about the grape without, without mentioning the name? Anyways, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, I'm so focused on, on hitting the swear jar. I think I've, I've lost it in my train, my train of thought. You know what? I really like Brian Schmidt's idea where he said that if you know, when you hit a certain number, you've got to raise your, raise the bar. So if you hit, you know, 25, and paying five cents, your twenty sixth oh, is ten cents. Yeah. And then when you hit fifty, now it's fifteen cents. I think that'd be kind of fun to see how far, how high this gets. Uh, I couldn't afford it. I just straight up couldn't afford it. Uh, but anyways, sorry. I guess to finish my point is um, Henry Pelham has something that's a little bit more New World style. You know, compared to the so it was a it was a, a delicious white wine from Sacred Hill in New Zealand. Uh, which leads to another conversation I'm sure we'll have at another time. It was a wine from Ontario, a wine from New Zealand, and a wine from France. One was, frankly, a little bit listless, and the other two were exciting and vibrant. All were between $18 and $22. Uh, guess which wine was the most exciting of the three? You're probably going to tell me it was the Ontario. It was not. Uh, New Zealand, then. It was the New Zealand. I mean, your choices are limited. Yeah. Uh, the the French wine was pretty listless, which I think, you know, signals to the problem with a region like Burgundy or, frankly, Bordeaux for the most part, that the entry-level wines just aren't super exciting, where, you know, Niagara was right in the sweet spot with the uh, Flat Rock 2019 delicious white wine, VQA 20 mile bench. 
but um, uh, the one I liked from from uh, from Henry was the uh, Spec Family Reserve uh, 2019 Chardonnay, and I can say that with with immunity and impunity. Yeah, um, it's not fair that you get to say it and I don't. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good year. Oh, it good totally year. Is. What else have you tasted that's interesting lately? I know you're working on, I know you're working on um, your rosé report, but there's got to be some other stuff that you're up to. Andre, uh, for some reason, I went down the uh, Irish whiskey garden path. I love it. Uh, I, I'm disappointed you didn't post any pictures on social media. And frankly, it's another thing that made me a little bit jealous about um, the COVID situation because I would have been down there in a heartbeat. I'm a bit of a whiskey aficionado and frankly every stupid thing i've ever done in my life has been as a result of irish whiskey i uh i i did um i did a few i've got uh, i've got an article coming out and i'm thinking of doing a few whiskey videos uh the sexton uh which was a single malt really had a uh, was a fan of that oh that's uh, one with the um it's got the, the creepy kind of packaging with the skull and yeah, and it's uh, it's the hexagon. Yeah, it's a good one. So that one was really good. A dead rabbit to me is always a a, a go to. Sadly, it's not in Ontario at the moment. But what a fabulous, uh, fabulous! It's uh, another Irish one that's whiskey. sessionable. I think like just a splash of water makes that one very, very dangerous that, sipping. That was the one that I finally went. Well, maybe I can deal with Irish whiskey. I'm not a Scotch whiskey kind of person. Uh, then I had tried like, a bush, it usually a has bushmill, that, like, 10-year-old. So you were tasting a lot of citrus and a lot of honey, like citrus and honey. Yeah, so there was a, there was a bushmill 10-year-old, which I was a, a, a big fan of. Uh, there was one called Patty's Old Irish Whiskey. That was that had a creme brulee note that I was kind of uh, excited about. And then uh, I'm just looking at some notes. So there's one called Proper 12. No, nothing? You've never tried no, that never one? Tried that was fruit-dominated? And then uh, the the one that uh, there was a hide, which was matured in um, uh, I can't remember what this one is, but uh, I'd have to look it up. Single grain Irish whiskey, six year old. And then my favorite uh, was a uh, one of, or at least one of my like top three was called West Cork Calvados Cask Finished. Man, oh, interesting. That, was, that one was just as sessionable as the uh, as the Dead Rabbit. Yeah, because I know like I. I do drink a lot of Calvados. Um, one of my business partners and best friends, Guillaume, is from Normandy. And, we, man, we've drank a lot of Calvados over the years. Uh, but the nice thing about Calvados is it's generally a little bit softer and more restrained on the finish. Uh, I, I, I would love to see what that would do to uh, a, a grain a, a grain spirit as opposed to an apple spirit. It was uh, it was one of those that I, uh, uh, during during this time, let's say... Um, my neighbor and I have uh, been watching uh, the the Montreal Canadiens play, obviously in separate houses, and then we'll meet in the backyard for a glass of something, be it wine. And I brought that whiskey out, and uh, uh, we had a couple of glasses of that one sitting out there. <laughs> so I'm guessing the Canadians lost then. Uh, well, Canadians are. I don't know. They just ca- they just came out of COVID protocol that they've they've had a week off that they weren't supposed to have. <laughs> so that's you know. So I, I I've been jonesing for some hockey that I care about, uh, and I just can't watch your Leafs. So <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. Um, 
so I, I, I talk about the Leafs with my dad pretty regularly. Um, I've just had a hard time getting into a lot of live sports this year. It just feels like there's too much going on to do that. But, you know, it's I, an escape. It's an escape. Look, the Jays start in uh, in what, two days or something like that. Uh, you need the escape. You really do. Yes. Uh, you know, we, we've all been escaping into books and uh, and television. Um, and sports has to be one of those escapes that uh, that that gets us through. It, oh, it, you, it okay. unites us. It joins us. But it, it um, you know, and it, it causes that that fun little rivalry that you get to talk to people about uh, and not want to, you know, not want to, you know, Pull no, I get that. Okay, and, okay. And shoot so, people in a grocery store. So before we wrap up here, uh, I think you mentioned off the top. I actually can't remember if we were rolling or not. But you're watching Superstore on my recommendation. Oh I, my god! I, you know what? I think I started watching it, and then you said, "Have you have you watched Superstore?" You were on season four, and I said, "We just started it." And you went, "Keep going. You're gonna love it." And it has it. It is probably one of the most laugh out loud funny shows i've seen in a long long time yeah um if if i were a character on superstore which one would i be glenn oh that's actually i think the nicest thing you've ever said to me <laughs> and, you know i think it sort of, it totally works because in my mind you're dina oh probably yeah <laughs> yeah because my my first my first instinct when you said to me you're late I said, I want to meet your mother so I can shove you back in her, which is, which is her line, right? So uh, I just, that was my first reaction to you going, you're late. So Oh, well, I don't know if we covered enough wine content. I know we've got to do some booking to get some other interviews on the go. Um, for Andre Wine Review, I'm working on a roundup of fielding wines, Um Man, I think we need to maybe talk to uh, Richie about Cabernet Franc. Put him in our roundup because um, there is one bottle of Cab Franc from the current lineup at Fielding that was a showstopper. Uh, and that's I'll, have to, I'll have to reach out to Richie and then we'll uh, we'll get him on then. Yeah, I think that's we, a good uh, idea. We are on the Caber uh, Cabernet Cabernet Franc bandwagon. Yes, and uh, Richie, uh, when he we had him on for the uh, for the vintage roundup, he admitted some numbers to us. Uh, for fielding, which I had no idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, other than that, uh, is there anything else you want to say before you say goodnight, Michael? You know what? Um, no, I think, uh, well, I've got, uh, as I said, I've got a little bit of a whiskey article coming up for Lux Magazine. I, I honestly can't um, wait for that. I can't wait for that. Please make sure you tag me in it. Of course. Uh, what else have I got coming up? Uh, my newsletter's back. Uh, I took uh, a few months off to try and either revamp it or just try to figure out uh, which way I wanted to take it. And uh, the newsletter is back. For And thank you for everybody who reached out and said, is it coming back? Or are you just dropping the ball on this? And I, I you still, know, I think I that still... was the push I needed to, to have it come back as people actually missed it. So uh, I'm still waiting for you to be a little bit more controversial in some of it. But, I mean, I, I still really look forward to reading it. Um. Yeah, some days I'll have my my. I've decided at some points I'll have a little a little short piece in there, maybe to to stir a little bit of something up. But uh, you know, I think the I think the wine speaks for itself usually. No, I agree with you on that. Um, 
you know, we've picked up a couple of new Patreon supporters, and uh, I know that it sounds like a, a commercial when I say it, but you have to remember, like, it's Michael and I. It's the two of us that do this. Um, we don't make a lot of money at this. We, uh, we, we do appreciate the support because it does take a little bit of money to pay for our hosting, to pay for uh, equipment, because uh, sometimes things do break down. And, you know, a couple dollars here, a couple dollars there. It may not seem like a lot to you, but it, it does mean a lot to Michael and I. Um, so check out the Patreon, Two Guys Talking White. Oh, uh, Jim Ray, one of our supporters asked a question about the ice wine harvest, which I answered him privately. Do we want to touch on that quickly before we wrap up? No, maybe another time. Okay. We've, uh, we've either, either excited or bored people long enough. Cause it's just been you and I this time. Yeah. Yeah, man, we are boring. eh? We- <laughs> I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. Follow me on social media at Andre Wine Review. And I'm Michael Pinkus of MichaelPinkusWineReview.com. Uh, we thank you for uh, for tuning into this one. Hope we made some sense to you, and everybody, you know, keep keep the uh, keep on the gas there. You, we're almost through this thing. We're going to get through it together. On the other side, uh, we'll meet. We'll have drinks. But remember to wear a mask, wash your hands, stay distant. We love you. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. This episode of Two Guys Talking Wine was produced by Jim Ray and Adam Duran.